0: This autumn at Kenilworth Union Church, we're preaching a series called The Wizard of Oz about the book of Job from the Hebrew Bible. This story comes from chapter 1. One day the heavenly beings presented themselves before the Lord, and the Satan came with them. And the Lord said to the Satan, Where have you come from? And the Satan answered, From walking to and fro upon the earth and going up and down within it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then the Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for naught? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to his face. The Lord said to the Satan, very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. And so the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And Well, you know the rest of the story. With God's sketchy permission, the Satan takes first Job's livelihood and then his precious children and finally even his health but still he persists in saying the lord giveth and the lord taketh away blessed be the name of the lord pray with me may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight O lord our rock and our redeemer amen well does anybody really believe in satan any longer well actually yes The Internal Revenue Service recognizes the First Church of Satan, San Francisco, as a legitimate tax-deductible religious institution. And here you can't even get your local IRS agent to believe that your yacht is a business expense. But Satan he can believe in. By the way, do you notice that Satan is an anagram of Santa? But then again, Britney Spears is an anagram of Presbyterians, so I'm not sure we learned very much. (laughs) Perhaps the figure of Satan is an ancient mythology that we need to discard to the scrap heap of silly religion. On the other hand, in the last 70 years, we have come to know Hitler, Stalin, Paul Pot, Holocaust at Auschwitz, Siberia, Nagasaki, and the Ukraine, so it might be a bit ironic that those of us who have lived in a pretty satanic period of history no longer believe in Satan. Maybe Baudelaire is right when he says Satan's cleverest trick is to convince us that he does not exist. So if you do not believe in a personal, objective, literal Satan, don't tune me out just yet. I'm probably with you. But one theologian described the biblical figure of Satan as the symbolic repository of all the evil in the present order of the world. He called the figure of Satan in the Bible a collective shadow of evil. So not literal pitchfork and horns, but a symbol for all the dark and sinister forces that threaten to sabotage human thriving. These things are so inexplicable, we can't explain them, we can't understand them. All we can do is tell stories about them, so that's what the Bible does. Now, Satan's not nearly as important to the Bible as the TV preachers wish we would think. He makes only three appearances in the 39 long books of the Hebrew Bible. And no, he doesn't appear in the Garden of Eden. That's just a snake. It's not very important to the Bible overall, but he is important to this Job story. One day, says the author, the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord and the Satan went with them. And so what we have here is a heavenly committee meetings meeting of all the advisors who help God manage the universe. This is like a meeting of the heavenly board of trustees. God is CEO and chair of the board, but these heavenly beings are his trustees who help him manage creation. Satan is described here as, of all things, one of the sons of God. Now, he doesn't have a name. Satan is not a name. It's the Satan. He has a title. So the title, the Satan morphed into becoming a common name Satan over the years in the same way that Jesus the Christ, originally a title, morphed into the common name Jesus Christ. So the Satan is like the accuser. The Satan is like God's prosecuting attorney. The Satan is like the DA whose job it is to find, battle, and prosecute the treasonous and the guilty. That's what the Satan does. And when God asks what Satan's been up to, Satan replies ominously from going to and fro upon the earth and walking up and down in it. I hope you'll notice that the author of Job gives the Satan wit and intelligence. His phrases are shapely and elegant and God listens to him hard. And so he's like God's secret spy. He's like an FBI agent wandering the earth looking for the treasonous and the traitorous. And Satan has his eye on Job. Satan is fascinated with Job. And he says to God, well, of course he's blameless and upright. Look at his perfect life. He drives a Range Rover. Look at his handsome family. They're sickening. He has more money than Bill Gates. But here's the real interesting question, Supreme Deity. Will Job serve God for naught? Love that line. Will Job serve God for nothing? That is to say, does Job worship God because God is God, or does Job worship God because there's something in it for Job? The Satan is very suspicious, you see, of mercenary religion. Of faith that expects something in return for its pains. So we can learn something from the Satan. Nothing good about mercenary religion where we expect God to pay us for our obedience. A while back, I was channel surfing and I came upon that 1983 classic, Trading Places. Remember this film with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, set in Philadelphia? And so, this is actually a fairly sophisticated retelling of the first two chapters of the book of Job. And so, these impressive Wall Street tycoons, Randolph and Mortimer Duke, like two heavenly beings, make a friendly wager, a dollar to be exact, that if you took all the advantages of their superstar protege, Louis Winthorpe III, Dan Aykroyd, if you took those away, he would become nothing but a street bum and a felon. And likewise, if you gave Lewis's advantages to a street urchin like Billy Ray Valentine, Eddie Murphy, he would become a successful investment banker. Hilarity and chaos ensue. And so Mortimer and Randolph Duke are like these heavenly beings playing a friendly game of poker with somebody's life, with Lewis's life, with Billy Ray's life, with Job's life. So I don't know what to do with this story. I'm not sure about this archaic, primitive little story. But let's capture at least this truth in the story. There's at least this here, that in this story, God is, or, uh, Satan is not God's nemesis or enemy, but, but God's servant, right? That's what the story is trying to tell us, that we can't make too much of Satan. Now, the calamity that befalls Job happens Not because of God, but also not apart from God. God doesn't cause Job's calamity, but God does permit it. And so what the story's trying to tell us is that the disasters that befall us, God gives some latitude to these dark and sinister forces that afflict human life. Martin Luther had a lovely phrase. He talked about God's Satan. God's Satan. Satan belongs to God. Now later in history, when the New Testament is being put together, Satan will become something so much more in the Christian mind. He will cease being God's servant and become God's enemy, even God's partner. And this figure of a muscular and robust Satan in Christianity seems to have been inherited from an ancient Persian religion called Zoroastrianism, which had not one god but two. There was a good god and a bad god. And so the beneficent deity comes up with sunsets and puppies, and the sinister deity comes up with mosquitoes, Lyme disease, and Vladimir Putin. Now the modern version of this ancient mythology, of course, is Star Wars where the Force has a light side and a dark side. There's always Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. The Jedi access the light side of the Force and the Sith access the dark side, but both of these very different supplicants are honoring the same power, the same Force with its two sides. And so in the fantasy land of George Lucas, the Force is composed of twin deities, the light and the dark. For some of us, in fact, this fantasy has become our operative theology. We make too much of the, sat- the satanic figure and the satanic happenings that go on around us. He's not as important as he thinks it is as he thinks he is. He's not as important as we think he is. It's a strange world we live in. I watched that old film Sophie's Choice a while back from 1982. Do you remember the story about this Polish woman named Sophie who is thrown into Auschwitz for next to nothing at all? She's not even Jewish, she's Catholic. And when she gets off the train at Auschwitz, she meets the very incarnation of a sinister will, if ever there was one. And this SS commandant who is in charge of the decision whether people go to the labor camps or to the crematorium says to Sophie, you may keep one of your children. She chooses her son. And her daughter is off to the furnaces. And so what we come to understand in this film is that such sinister will is terrestrially inexplicable. We can't explain that SS commandant. We can't explain him. It's irrational. And so what Christianity and Judaism have tried to do is not to make an explanation, but just to tell a story, a story like the book of Job. And so if you know the story, you know that Sophie survives the war and even gains a measure of happiness and peace in the arms of a man named Nathan a schizophrenic with demons of his own to fight. And they enjoy a few years together, but finally decide that the world has no place for beings like them, and so they take their own lives. But even here, the narrator places an overlay of meaning upon this sad story. Standing on the Brooklyn Bridge, Stingo, the narrator says, and thus ended my voyage of discovery in a place as strange as Brooklyn. I let go the rage and sorrow for Nathan and Sophie and for the many others who were but a few of the butchered, betrayed, and martyred children of the earth. And when I could finally see again, I noticed that the first rays of daylight were reflected in the murky waters of the river. This was not judgment day. This was just the morning, excellent and fair. Ample, make this bed, make this bed with awe. In it wait till judgment break, excellent and fair. Be its mattress straight, be its pillow round. Let no sunrise yellow noise interrupt this ground. The morning shall break, excellent and fair. It is a strange world, but it's God's world and God is love. Or as the proprietor of the best exotic marigold hotel says, in India we have a saying, everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end, the end.